Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 15th of March 2009, entitled Wrestling with God, and the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Book of Genesis, chapter 32. There's actually quite a lot of detail of what we want to look at this evening. I'm just going to read a portion of that for the sake of time. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it? that thou dost ask after my name. And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. As he passed over Penuel, the sun rose against him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Father, we do thank you again, Lord, for the time that we have together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for each one that is here. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit that lives within us. We do pray earnestly now, Lord, that you would take, speak through us the words that need to be heard here this evening. You know the need of each heart. We pray that those needs would be met through you and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You'll notice in your bulletins the thought for this evening, the title, if you would, of our message is Wrestling with God. We touched on this a bit during the, I guess, Bible study this morning in the Sunday school time, discussing about the, amazingly, a lot of times, the small things, the small choices, the small events in our life have such large consequences. Now the truth is, is that what we're reading right here in God's Word was undoubtedly one of the major incidents that ever took place in Jacob's life. Now God has recorded it here for a reason. We know that for us, we can learn, we can gain from these experiences there are certainly some important lessons that we can gain from it. I think one of the things that I was rereading this passage that I was reminded of is the fact that how many times, how many times when we're going through a time when we are maybe trying so very hard, we're really struggling, and if you would, wrestling with God about a matter. And sometimes we just want to throw up our hands and quit, or we get so frustrated and we sometimes feel like, you know, it's just, it's just too hard. And yet the truth is, is that sometimes when we come through those times, when we've had to really wrestle with something, whether it's maybe for an answer that we need in our lives, or maybe it's because of some event that we're uh, approaching or whatever, and yet so many times those difficult times have proved to be real changing points in our lives. We think of wrestling in a lot of different ways, and of course, in some ways, it's a sport. When I was back in, in junior high school, we used to wrestle as part of our athletics classes. And of course, that was different because it was all controlled, and you had on all your headgear and everything, and everybody started down on the mats, and the whole thing was scoring points against your uh, component, your opponent. But of course, 
growing up with two brothers, I did a lot of wrestling in other ways too. And it didn't always please mom and dad when we would get into some of those wrestling matches in our bedroom when we were supposed to be asleep at night and all those things. I never was a real fighter growing up. Um, matter of fact, I, I was thinking sometime back, I mentioned to someone we were talking that, you know, I guess that uh, I, was, uh, I wasn't a small guy when I was in school, and so I never really got picked on a lot and I always uh, uh, would stand my own ground. But uh, in high school, I, I got in more scuffles because of my brother than I did because of me. My brother's name was Jimmy, but I often thought that we should have called him Peter uh, because he was often like Peter, just speaking up and saying something that uh, he would have been better off sitting down and saying nothing. Uh, you know, he, uh, he didn't mince his words a lot. And of course, as his big brother, then when he would get in trouble, then uh, uh, you're always there to stand up and to protect and whatnot. Um, you know, one thing that goes along with, with that kind of wrestling and fighting is is the element of fear. Uh, you want to put fear into the other person. You stand up tall. You look them straight in the eyes. You don't clench. You don't let them know. I don't care if you're shaking in your boots. You don't let them see that fear. But often we do feel the fear. There's some things that we wrestle with in life that we're not real afraid of because we can have a certain amount of confidence that we're going to be victorious. But there are other times we wrestle with things that we have great fear and we struggle because we really don't know if we're going to come out on top. I think I shared with you one time, one of the times that I actually admitted my fear, I was, I was only about, oh, maybe 16 or 17 years old at the time. And of course, you know, fighting stories are kind of like fishermen stories. The, the, your, your opponent always grows as, as, as the story goes on, you know. And this guy was, you know, that tall. You know, he just, just, just kept getting taller. But, but he did. I mean, I was five foot ten. He stood about six foot four, six foot five. He was a big guy, and he was older than me, several years older than me. He had already finished school and all of this. And the incident came about really at no fault of my own. Something happened that he blamed me for that really wasn't my fault anyway. But word got out that he was looking for me, and I was fearful. Because I, I wasn't afraid of too many people, but I did not want to face this guy. And I remember I even went as far as and I, I got, I said, I need something to help equalize this situation. If he's really looking for me for a long time, I, I, I carried a stick around just, just beside my seat in my car, not because I was looking to go out and hurt somebody with it, but I was afraid this guy was going to find me. And I wanted something to try to help equalize it. Well, guess what? He found me one night. And I was nowhere close to my stick that I could get to it. I can remember that I was literally leaning against the fender. I mean, you know, back in those days, you used to have these certain areas where that everybody with their cool cars would, would, would stop and, and, you know, really do anything except just stand around and, and talk and talk and talk. And there were several of us who were standing. I was just leaned up against the fender or the wing or whatever you want to call it of my, uh, of my car. And all of a sudden, there were tires squalling and squelching and here this guy comes barreling into where we were, sliding sideways and jumping out of his car. And he'd had a bit to drink as well. And I remember that he came over there and he was standing there at me and, and his finger was right there in my face and he was cursing me and he was going to town and he was telling me how he was going to take me apart. I wasn't saying a word. I mean, I just stood there. I was trying not to show my fear, but I didn't say a word. And the next thing that I remembered in that event was when I was on the other side of the car, up off the ground. Because, I mean, this guy hit me, and I went across that car and landed on the other side. Now, the moral of that story is that fear was real, and it was something that I should have had. <laughs> but the truth is, is that many times we fear things because we know. We know that our chances of coming out on top are slim to kneel. And as we look at Jacob here, we find an interesting account because Jacob is going through a wrestling match. But I want you to notice, first of all, that leading up to this event where Jacob found this real changing point in his life, he experienced some real fear. 
Now, the Bible teaches us that perfect love casteth out fear. The truth is, is that there are many things in ourselves that we might fear and maybe rightly so. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's really nothing that we have to fear. Genesis chapter 32, the same chapter we're just reading, but back up to verse 7 and 8, you'll find that the Bible tells us, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He was so fearful that the Bible says that he was getting in a distress. He was greatly afraid and distressed. Listen, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. You see, the first thing that Jacob is doing here is basically preparing for battle against his brother Esau because he was afraid of false forces. And he said, I'm going to divide my people and everything that I've got into two so that when he comes, at least if he gets one of us, then some will survive because he won't get us all. Now, a few chapters back in Genesis chapter 27, we find the root of this fear. In chapter 27, verse 41, the Bible says, And Esau hated Jacob. Why? Because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Now, he wasn't just coming after him like my opponent was to throw a punch and feel better about it afterwards. He literally wanted to take his brother's life. Remember, the birthright had been Esau's, but Jacob deceived him out of that. And so Esau was, to say the least, extremely upset because of what Jacob had done to him. Well, the truth is, is that he's willing to hold back for a bit during this Mourning period when their father has died, we find that Isaac has gone off the scene. He says, I'll get him. I'll get him when this is over. Now, sometimes, from a human standpoint, our fears can be justified. Jacob had a reason to be fearful because of what his brother had done, what his brother had sworn that he was going to do. And sometimes, just like in my case, when we know that the adversary is more likely, more able than we are, then we realize that we might have some reason to fear. The truth is, we do have a real adversary in Satan today. And in our own strength, we might have grounds to fear. But our real defense is the Lord. How many times can we go to Scripture and we can read over and over and over and over again? doesn't matter what the odds are. It doesn't matter how impossible a situation. What it really matters is if you're on the Lord's side. And the truth is, is that I think that you've probably heard and read as I've had that you know, we go around so many times, people are worrying and worrying and worrying. They're so fearful of this and fearful of that and afraid this is going to happen and that's going to happen. 90% of what they're afraid of never, ever comes to pass. We're fearful of things that never even happen. But I'm saying to you this evening that before this real changing point that came about in Jacob's life, I want you to realize that he was acting from a position of fear. But I want you to notice something else about Jacob. Because not only in this situation do we see fear, but we see his prayer. Now, that's very important. When Jacob is told that his brother is coming with, the Bible tells us, 400 men, the Bible said Jacob actually trembled. It caused him to cry out to God in prayer. Now, listen, be honest with me. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, doesn't it? 
When is some of the times that you pray your most fervent prayers when you're afraid? (laughs) It ought not to be that way. But when we're afraid of something, you know, the truth is, even those many times that would not even lay any claims to believing in God, even those that may not lay any claims to a faith in Christ as we would, boy, let something very serious come into their life, and the first thing they're doing is crying out to God. Well, the first thing that they're doing is praying, God, help me. Notice what Jacob says in Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 to 12. It says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, there's a couple of things about that prayer that I want you to notice. We can say a lot. Notice this. Jacob is afraid when he's calling and praying out to God. But as he's calling and praying out to God and begging God to deliver him and his family from this situation, notice what he goes back to. He goes back to reminding God of the promises that he's made to him. He's got some promises to stand up. Why does he have hope? Why can he have faith in this prayer? Because God has already promised and told him some things that he can count upon. He says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for me. I'm afraid for my family. God, please deliver me from this. You've promised me this and you've promised me that. You know, sometimes when the fear is upon us, Sometimes it's God's promises that will make all the difference in the world. We find that every one of us, at some time in the past and most likely at some time in the future, unless the trumpet sounds awfully soon, there's going to be some kind of severe circumstances in our lives. There's going to be some reasons for us to be fearful, although we ought not to. Although with with God we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be anxious for anything, the Bible says. But we will. And we'll cry out to God in those times to help us because we know that He's the only one that can. Now granted, that's one of the real differences. You know that we say many times that sometimes people get this idea that, oh, You become a Christian, and boy, life is going to be a bed of roses from that point on. You'll never have to worry about anything else. You'll never run out of money again. You'll never have a problem because God will take care of all of it. But the truth is, we live in a real world. There's one big difference. Every one of us, lost or saved, will face serious, severe, fearful circumstances in our life. But as a child of God, I've got a God to go to in my prayers that's made promises to me. And I can stand upon those promises. But the difference is, if you're not a Christian, you'll still go through a lot of the same circumstances, but you're going to have to go through them on your own. Some people say, well, Christianity is just a crutch. You know, I know that they're meaning that in in a negative way. And, you know, the truth is, no, we're not a bunch of cripples that have to go around leaning on something all the time. But I want to tell you something else. There's times in all of our lives when we need to lean on something or somebody besides ourselves. And I'm not ashamed to admit, there's times in my life when I don't have the answer, and I can handle it, and I don't have the strength, but I know somebody that I can lean on that does. I know somebody that's there for me. And that's one of the big differences. Jacob had declared himself a believer in God. He was returning to the land that according to 
His father had been left him. It was the will of God. He had all kind of promises of what was going to take place here. He admits to God his unworthiness. You know, many, 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 many times I wish, wish when I went to God in prayer. You know, I wonder what it feel like sometimes to go actually feeling like you deserve to have a prayer answered. The problem is I've never gone to God and felt like I deserve to have him answer any prayer that I've ever prayed. I know that I don't deserve it. And you know, that's what Jacob is making known here, his unworthiness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking this because that I'm so holy or I'm so good or I've done so much for you or I deserve it. God, I'm just desperate. You've promised as your child that these things are going to be true in my life. And now I'm calling upon you because I can't do it myself. And I must have your help. We find that he admits his unworthiness. He admits his fears. And he looks to his God for help. All I'm saying to you, folks, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to look to God for your help, just as Jacob does here. I want you to notice a third thing about Jacob here in this, in this life-changing event. Not only do we see his fear, which we can relate to, not only do we see his prayers, which hopefully we can relate to, but we see his resistance. Jacob prays for help. Now, the Bible says, He that cometh to God must believe, first of all, that he is. That he's there. What point is it? I mean, I know. Anybody here ever talk to themselves? Yep, yep. It, it, it's not too bad except when you're sitting at that traffic light and they can tell there's nobody else in the car. Of course, nowadays it doesn't matter so much because they just figure you've got a hands-free or something anyway. But how many of you talk to somebody else when nobody else is there? I, I'm really worried about you. I, I talk to me because I know that I'm there. You know, at least I'm listening. But when you start talking to invisible people that don't exist, you know, you might be ready for the white jacket then. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you know, that's really, you have to believe that God is. I mean, how foolish is it to go talking to somebody that doesn't exist anyway? Why, why are you talking to him in the first place? The truth is, the first step for any of us is to recognize that God is, that he's there, that he exists. And, you know, it's, it's not a hard choice. You've got two choices. He is or he isn't. He is or he isn't. He's there or he's not there. He exists or he doesn't exist. You know, there's not a whole lot of choices, one or the other. Either God is the designer and the creator of everything that is, and therefore he's the one that is the only one that I can give thanks for my life. Well, you know, I've said it before, and I mean it from the very depths of my heart, you know, people talk about we as Christians, about it having to be so much faith. And, and you know it is. The Bible teaches, and we know that it's faith. But I like the way that if you've ever read the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, <laughs> one, of the, one of the ways that that book begins is by talking about the fact that, yes, the Christian life is a life of faith. But you know, even then, folks, it's not blind faith. It's not blind faith. And he proceeds to present the evidence of whether God's Word is God's Word, whether God is, and all of these different things. But the truth is, either, either it happened because God designed it and did it, well, boy, that was sure some big fluke of an accident. <laughs> I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. You know, I, I do not. Yes, I know. I'm, I mean, <laughs> we're all human. Even pastors, we, we, there's not a person here that hasn't had those doubts to come into their minds at times. Is this real? Is that real? Did God really do this? Did God really do that? I want to tell you something. You know, maybe the fact is I find believing the other a whole lot bigger stretch than believing that God did it. To look at life. Look at all the different forms of life. 
to look at all the balances, not just of earth, but of our whole solar system and everything that is, that has to be just the way it is in order for it to work. It doesn't take much to go wrong with your body for it to quit working. It all has to work together. Then all the bodies and all the universe and everything, and yet for all of that to happen without design. You see, the Bible says you've got to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's there. If you acknowledge him, that he is my creator, that's when I become accountable. If God's not there, if he wasn't the one that gave me life in the first place, you know, so many times today, and, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this in a nasty way, so many times with the best intentions in the world, Christians can go out and they can just start, you know, telling people, what low-down sinners that they are, <laughs> and how that they need to be saved, and all of these things that they're trying to figure out, what in the world is this guy on? First of all, how can they relate to any kind of sin if there is nobody that they're accountable to in the first place? How can you go contrary to somebody that's not even there? <laughs> the truth is, you've got to first of all accept that he is, and then that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I do believe this with all my heart. I believe that the Bible bears out clearly that if you believe that God's there, that you will diligently seek for Him honestly and genuinely, I do believe that you'll find Him. I don't believe that you can look at all that is there and all that He is and not see Him. The truth is, is that with Jacob... You know, he prays to God, He's given his, he, he believes that God's there, but then when the help comes, he resists it. He wrestles with the messenger. We find that that's often the situation, even though it may not be a physical call. You know, the pastor usually goes through a lot of wrestling matches every week because people want to wrestle with the messenger. You know, God tells me to say something, and I say it, ooh, Preacher shouldn't have said that, you know. Well, the truth is, is that, yeah, many times we don't know anybody else to go to except the one that's saying it. It might have been God that said it, but the same thing here with Jacob. He's wrestling with the messenger. The pride of the heart, the self-will. We just want to feel that we are totally, completely in control ourselves. With that pride and that self-will, it's so hard sometimes just to be submissive, to be submissive to God. Have you ever noticed that when you're seeking God's will in a certain matter that you might be praying about, that the simple thing that sometimes comes to your mind, you often just put it aside. <laughs> you put it aside because... You're expecting some kind of a bolt of lightning answer to this thing. God puts it right there. You know, you've heard the, the story of the man the that was caught in the, in, the, in the flood, and he was on the rooftop, and he was praying and praying to God for him to, to please, please preserve him, to take care of him. Along come the guy in the boat and offered him a ride, and he says, no, that's fine. God's got this in control, and again and again, and in the end, when he comes back and he goes to God, God says, well, <laughs> I sent three people along to get you off of there, and you said no to every one of them. You know, God uses all kinds of things to answer our prayers. And sometimes they're the very simplest thing. You know, that's one of the greatest challenges to the human mind when it comes to salvation. It's too simple. Not easy, but it's too simple. I mean, if if... If there was some kind of laid-out plan, I'll guarantee you, if we had some laid-out plan that somebody could have eternal life, scientific proof, eternal life, you can live forever. You'll do this, 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 and this, and it's going to cost you everything that you got in this life. And all. People be doing everything they possibly could to get that result. But just to admit, just to admit that you've sinned against the holy God that created you, just to admit that you're a sinner, just to go to God 
and ask for forgiveness, not even because of what I'm going to do for him, how I'm going to change and all these deals that I want to work with him, but because of what Jesus Christ did? It's too simple. But you know, as Christians, even when we've got past that point, we do the same thing over and over and over many times. God will send along the answer in such a simple form, but we think that's too easy. <laughs> that's not the way that God would do it. God's going to do something spectacular. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God works in our lives in such a way Many times what we're thinking about doing is what he's actually leading us to do. Jacob resisted when the Lord came on the scene, but he did prevail with God. We see with Jacob his fear, his prayer, his resistance. Well, this next one we see here, it's, it's, it's the tough one for us a lot of times. I just simply call it his, his breaking. <laughs> his breaking. We don't like to be broken. You know, many times even in our, even just in our day-to-day -day things, I know, I tell you and all these things, I know we ought not to be ashamed of being broken. Sometimes we need to be broken but still, we don't like to, for people to see us broken, do we? You know, I, I, I get all, even though that sometimes I can't help it, I get all self-conscious. I get all self-conscious because grown men aren't, they're not supposed to, to cry and let things choke them up and all these things. And old pride just starts coming in there. We don't like to be broken. We don't like to be in a situation to where that we've lost control. You see, notice in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 and 25, Jacob's natural strength was broken. It says, and Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now the words, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, was this man with whom Jacob wrestled, who was he? Was he what sometimes is called a Christophany, the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? You see, Jacob seems to have absolutely no question as to who he was wrestling with. His new name that was given to him, that tells us because his name was changed from Jacob, which meant heel catcher or deceiver. Does that sound suitable? If you look back to how Jacob got his birthright, yes, it was all through deception. He was a very deceptive man, heel catcher or deceiver, but it was changed to Israel, which literally means prince with God, God's fighter, one that struggles with God. I mean, that's a whole different picture than the name Jacob. His name given to this place as a memorial. The Bible says he called it Penal. Literally, meaning the face of God. He called it that because he had come face to face with God and survived. The name that he called this place was face of God. Now, 
for all these reasons, I, I, I lean to the side that, yes, as we see other places in the Old Testament, that the one that Jacob was actually wrestling with here was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, whether it was Christ or whether it was a, uh, an angel of God, uh, it's amazing that it says, when he saw that he prevailed not against him. Now, the first thing we think, well, now, if, if this was God that he was wrestling against, I mean, <laughs> of course he's not going to prevail against him. I mean, I mean, the truth is, is, you know, the Lord could just wipe him out with a moment's, you know, without even having to speak a word. Why didn't he do so? Why didn't God do that? Why would he wrestle with him all night long, literally, all through the night? Truth is, the Bible said after it was over, he limped away. He had the scars from that all-night wrestling match. You know that many of us today, we have limps and scars from our old sin nature. God forgives everything. But many times there are consequences that we still have to live with. Many times there are things that we did that we can't just go back and undo as much as we'd like to. No sin is too big for God to forgive. Sometimes they leave consequences behind. We've got to come to the point of seeing ourselves as God sees us. We've got to face the impossibility of being right with God within ourselves, within our own strength. We find that the Bible says the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. Now, I know. I've, we've been very, very blessed. I've had six children and never to have any broken bones, but that's all right. We had enough for his family and mine all put together himself. <laughs> have you ever had a broken bone? Have you ever had something pulled out of joint? <laughs> It's painful. It's painful. Sometimes the consequences can be painful. And of course, the amazing thing is, is that how many times do we think how amazing it is when an athlete, they do something to injure themselves, and yet they just keep going until the end. Put that pain aside, even though that it's real. And that's what Jacob's doing here. I mean, truth is, he's, he's thighs out of joint. And yet he's still wrestling. He still won't let go. Of course, we know that the truth is, is that many times, many times, we need what we see next. And I believe that's what comes through with Jacob here, it's his determination. You know, sometimes we just need to be determined to get the truth. Determined to find God's will. Determined that whatever that it takes, we're going to find out what God wants in this matter. Verse 26 there, and he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. They're wrestling. Jacob's got a hold of him. He said, it's daytime. Let me go. Jacob says, no way. I am not letting go until you bless me. I've shared with some of you in the past. Sometimes we come to places in our life where we're wrestling with things that we can't just throw up our hands and walk away from it. We've got to see it through to the end. I've shared with you my own experience in my own testimony, how that, how that after being saved and then for years I struggled with that. And I mean, there was times that I literally laid prostrate on the floor, crying out to God to help me, 
to give me that assurance that I could, that I could know without a shadow of doubt. You see, the thing was, the problem was, for years I was genuinely looking for some kind of a feeling that I would never, ever doubt it. Some kind of a, 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 a magical something going on in me that just put me above all that. But I've shared with you how sitting beside that road outside of Greenville, South Carolina one night <laughs> after preaching, after seeing others saved, and driving back down that road and those doubts coming over me. <laughs> now you've told others how to do it. Do you really know that you saved yourself? That was when I had the wrestling match that <laughs> perhaps was equivalent to Jacob's that changed my life in ways that nothing ever did before. Because when I pulled that car beside the road that night, I was determined. I'm not going to let go. God, some way, somehow, we've got to sit here till you come back. Some way, somehow, I've got to have this settled in my life right now, right here. The truth was, is that night, you know, I came to realize, though, I'd, I mean, though I'd preached it myself, you know, we can, we can say things, we can know things, yet not know it in our hearts, in our very being. The difference that night beside the road is I came to realize with everything within me, I knew. I'd never questioned. God had shown me that I was a sinner. Boy, I didn't have to worry about that. I, I knew what the conviction felt like of knowing that, boy, I'd failed God miserably. And I knew that God's the only one that would show me that. <laughs> Devil doesn't want me to be convicted of my sin. I'll promise you that. The Holy Spirit, that's his job. That's what he's here for. He's the one that will reprove us. He's the one that will bring that conviction to our lives, that we can even grasp it and understand it. And I knew. I knew with everything within me that when I went before God, I recognized my sin, and I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want to be a sinner again. I wish I could tell you I'd never sinned since that day. But my attitude towards sin changed completely. And I knew that when I went on my face before God, I've told you before, you know, whether at 11-year-olds when I first gave my heart to the Lord or as a 21-year-old young man when I came back to God, I know in my heart that I had sought mercy from God solely because of what Jesus Christ had done for me. And you see, just as Jacob was relying on the promises of God when he prayed there, in the end, that's where God brought me to that. And I knew what took place in my heart. And I knew that if I wasn't saved then, I would never, ever be because there was nothing else I could do. Either God had done it, he had kept his word, or I had no hope anyway. I come to recognize because, folks, it became that important to me. And I wrestled with God that night. Boy, I wish, I wish that I hadn't failed him as miserably as I had. But the one thing that changed is that God showed me how that I could know with absolute certainty because it was based upon him keeping his promise rather than upon me doing anything for myself. Jacob showed determination that he was going to get this blessing from the Lord. Even after being broken, he was determined not to let go. He received that blessing. His submissiveness, his helpless cry of dependence upon God. He knew. He knew that he had a hold of God and he wasn't about to let go because that's the only place he could find his answer. He wasn't going to get it anywhere else. That blessing wouldn't come from anywhere else except this one that he was wrestling with. Genesis chapter 32, verses 27 and 28, And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men, and has prevailed. I want to give you this, and I'm going to close here in just a moment, I promise. 
You go back through the Scriptures. You begin back in about chapter 25 and you come up through chapter 37. I'm not going to go back and read them all, but I want to just uh, give you a few character traits of this man. Back in Genesis chapter 25, 31 to 33, you know what you find about Jacob? That he's a crafty rascal. <laughs> he is crafty. You go a bit further in chapter 27, verses 18 to 29, and you find out just how deceptive that he is. He was a great deceiver. In Genesis chapter 27, verses 42 and 43, we find him reaping the result of his own sin. It was in Genesis chapter 28 that we find Jacob becoming religious. <laughs> starting to look to God. It was after that that we see in Genesis 29, we see affection. In Genesis 31, we see industriousness. In Genesis 32 that we've just seen here, we see a prayerful man. In Genesis chapter 37, we see a man that is disciplined. I want you to read what I believe it was the Apostle Paul wrote when he wrote the book of Hebrews chapter 11, notice what it says in verse 21. <laughs> By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. <laughs> the hall of faith. That's how his life ended. <laughs> a man of faith. We find that we know from verse 30, that's where we really see his testimony. Jacob called the name of the place Penal. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob had a personal encounter with God. It wasn't just something that he had read about. It wasn't just something that he was told about. The thing is, is that we must all have a personal encounter with God. That's the only way that our lives will ever be changed. We must come face to face with Him. That's the only way that you can ever get your sins forgiven. There's got to be that time when you turn away from the world and turn to face God. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. Wrestling with God. You see, I believe tonight, and I give you this, and we'll sing our closing hymn. I believe that if you're here as a believer this evening, you find that this was a changing place. That's where his name was changed. Jacob was different after this encounter. It wasn't an easy time. It was a time when he, he feared for his life more than he ever had before, and he had right to. It was a time when it took him getting with God and being determined not to let go of God until God did what in his life what he needed. Christians, too many times, we just take off and do our own thing and then go back crying to God wondering, why we got in trouble. We need to get along with God. Sometimes we need to wrestle with God. It might be over all kinds of things in our lives. It might be over relationships. It might be over work. It might be over school. It might be over anything in your life, literally. I said this morning, as we were studying prayer in the Bible study time, I said this morning, there is nothing in your life, nothing that you do, no decision that you ever make. No choice that you ever make. That's too small to be important to God. He cares about everything about you. Sometimes you just got to be willing to wrestle with God on these things instead of doing your own thing. Wrestle with God like Jacob did. Be determined not to let go until you find out what God wants, that you get God's approval, 
that you get His blessing upon it. Because your whole life, you can pay the consequences. You can pay the consequences which are extremely difficult sometimes. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, can I say to you, boy, sometimes you just need to wrestle with God. If the Holy Spirit's allowed you to at least recognize that you're a sinner, that God's there, what was it? But to believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It might take a wrestling match. It might get something pulled out of joint. Truth is, there is nothing in your life that's worth fighting for more. Nothing in your life that's more important than getting a hold of God, being face-to-face -face with Him, and getting that thing resolved and sorted before your life moves on. It's not easy sometimes. You know, most Christians have come through more spiritual struggles than you realize. <laughs> but God's always there. Father, I thank you this evening, Lord, for this simple insight into Jacob's life. Well, there was a point in his life that he came to when, Lord, he had a wrestling match with you. Truth is, well, we've looked at these different things that brought him to this point and brought him through this point. And I pray that right here this evening, because you know the needs of each one here, there may be Christians here this evening, or that something's going on in their life. Well, maybe they just need to wrestle with you a bit. Grab hold and not turn loose until they know absolutely, with all certainty, what it is that you want in their life. Lord, there may be those here that have never been saved. God, you know we would desire and wish that we could do anything that we could to help, but maybe they just need that personal encounter. Maybe... They need to get a hold of you and just not let go until they get that answer. You've promised, you've promised that if a person believes that you are, that you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek. Maybe those here this evening that need to genuinely make that the priority in their life to get a hold of you and to hang on there until they find out what it is that they need, but most of all, that they know that they've got that assurance that their life is resting in Christ. Of course, in His name we pray. Amen. Amen.